So is the Rock Nation brunch actually the Illuminati meeting? (laughs) (laughs) Yo, Rock Nation brunch is the capitalist aspiration meeting. That's all that is. It's like, (laughs) it's like, you ever see that suit march where niggas be like, yo, we're all going to wear colorful suits and walk down. And that's like our show of solidarity or whatever. It's like that. It's just like you want to be in, in the club. It's not the Illuminati meeting. You know what I'm saying? Illuminati meeting, man, shit. That shit is definitely not even having on closed doors. Like, go watch this, man. <laughs> You'll probably see what's going on. When they're like, bye to your rights, nigga. Roe v. Wade gone, nigga. Like, that's what's, that's what's really happening. Yeah, it's the Almanac of Rap Show. I got opinions and they all factual. No news, just information that you won't be able to use unless you're at a dinner party trying to impress who's in attendance with endless tidbits of nonsense. We're gonna have a good time, I promise. You two rabbit holes, ready deep dives, pulling out old interviews from the archives. Styles, fads, trends, all of that. It's the Almanac of Rap. Welcome to the Almanac of Rap, a show that considers every month to be Black History Month. My name is Don Will, and I'm a rapper, producer, DJ, and your host for the series. Today's show is about politics, and my guest is Tim Hotep. Tim is a writer and curator who created Levels and The Ones for Pitchfork. He also hosted Squeeze Radio on the legendary 89.9 FM with Sucio Smash. The conversation also covers conspiracy theories and allyship. And of course, there's a mix afterwards. But before we get into any of that, I got to kick the ballistics. The message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five is credited with the distinction of being the first social political rap song. But I'm here to offer a counterpoint. It was just overtly focused on its message. While there weren't nearly as many rap songs back then, if you were listening, you could probably find a message in all of them. And that's because all rap songs are inherently political. In fact, rap has been political the whole time. Some people pine for the past and wish rap was still overtly pro-black. And those people probably also buy into the hard definition of what genre is. But if you ask me, conscious rap is not a thing. Music has to be compartmentalized for marketing purposes, and subgenres are important for identifying an audience. But the type of beat a person raps to has nothing to do with the content of the music. Overclassifying things for marketing purposes is how you end up with gospel drill rap or jazzy trap house or whatever other word soup description people end up calling a thing to sell it. Rap music is synonymous with blackness and rappers have been detailing the black condition the entire time. So while a lot of rappers say they don't like getting political, by sheer virtue of making rap music, their songs are political. But on the flip side, some rappers have went full on into politics by running for office. All right, all right. So at this point, we all know about Kanye's presidential run. But did you know that his longtime friend and collaborator, Rhymefest, ran for alderman of Chicago? Or that Scarface ran for Houston City Council? Or how about that time Luther Campbell, a.k.a. Uncle Luke, a.k.a. Luke Skywalker of the 2 Live crew ran for mayor of Miami. 
first at 10, a parade of politicians and a former rap star rushed to run for mayor of Miami-Dade. Tonight, the lineup and what voters are looking for this time around. Many say insider politicians have got to go. You can't get more outsider than hardcore rapper turned football coach turned mayoral candidate Luther Campbell. And this campaign is about me as a businessman working for the people. All right. Okay, cool. Well, what about that time Wyclef Jean attempted to run for president of Haiti? Wyclef Jean's presidential dreams appear to be over. An electoral council in Haiti ruled Friday the hip-hop artist and activist cannot run for the country's highest office. The Haitian-born singer's candidacy was turned down because he did not meet the residency requirement. Now, for various reasons, none of these rappers made it into their respective offices. But there have been a few rappers who have actually rocked the vote and won. Like former bad boy artist Shine, who is now the leader of the opposition party in the Belize House of Representatives. Here's a clip of him on the Tamron Hall Show. Welcome to the show, the Honorable Moses Shine Barrow. Do you miss rapping? Well, you know, I always tell people uh, in the House of Representatives, you're the voice of the people. And, you know, if you ever listen to me speak in the House of Representatives, it's just like I'm at Madison Square Garden, you know. Um, because I never made music just to make music. Yeah. I was the voice of the voiceless, yeah. right? I know that you come from a political dynasty, your father, history-making politician. Okay, sidebar. Did y'all know that his dad, Dean Barrow, was the prime minister of Belize from 2008 to 2020? Because I had no idea. That's crazy. And do it all. From the rap group Lords of the Underground, who's also now known as Dupre Kelly in his role as New Jersey City Councilman. And if you think that means that he's done with rap, think again. He even pulled in Newark's mayor, Ross Baraka, for a song titled Keep the Faith. So we climb and climb until we climb high. Keep the faith and stay away from the dangers. Bullseye, you can tell where my aim was. Palm to palm, knees bent when I'm ancient. We made it here by faith. We made it here by faith. Our ancestors' hands held up the skies so we can stand tall and dance across time. Be beautiful deliberately right on purpose. Keep the faith. Yo, do it all is still nice. Ironically, none of these rappers have made rap songs as their campaign ads. Hold up, what? Wyclef kinda did, really? Wyclef for president If I was president I'd get elected on Friday Assassinated on Saturday Buried on Sunday They go back to work on Monday If I was president If I was the president if I was president. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. All right. Yep. Debatable, but you got me. True, true. All right. But if you're wondering why these rappers didn't make their own campaign songs, it's because rap campaign songs never really work. They essentially just end up as parody. Like Linda Paulson's U.S. Senate rap. District 12, listen up right here. There's a new name on the ballot for the Senate this year. I'm pro-religious freedom, pro-life, pro-police. The right to bear arms and the right to free speech. District 12 needs a choice. Let me be your voice, Linda Paulson. Linda Paulson for Senate. That was that was the opposite of bars, like anti-bars. Or 
Ben Carson's air quote rap campaign ad. Ben Carson 2016. And support Ben Carson for our next president and be awesome. Every one of us must fight for it because we're fighting for our children and the next generation. If we want to get America back on track, we got to vote Ben Carson. No matter of fact, go out and vote. I'm Ben Carson, and I approve this message. If you're wondering who the rapper was on that track, his name is Aspiring Mogul, and he's a self-described Christian Republican rap enigma. I really wish I was making that up, but it's true. And even when it's genuine, it just comes off as kind of corny. Like this ultimate rap league battle rap style song where Charlie Clips and DNA, two very high powered and respected battle rappers, duke it out over voting for Joe Biden. You know why I don't vote? Because as a black man, I just feel like there's no hope. We always telling each other to stay woke. That's why this time we gotta use our voice and you have to vote. The facts should show. Biden has a plan for African Americans. We're not dealing with your average Joe. You know, before you actually called my phone, I honestly had no hope. But if Biden and Harris gonna do exactly what you said, then I'm gonna go vote. Let's face it. Shilling your latest brand endorsements is way easier than laying out the policy of your platform. It's, it's just hard to turn legislature into a jam, which is kind of odd because detailing the conditions you're living in seems like it also lends itself to platforming people with solutions. But not that odd when you consider that rap and activism go hand in hand. Activism and the government, not so much. And one of my favorite rap activism moments was Cameron and Dame Dash versus Bill O'Reilly. How do you hurt children by promoting to be an entrepreneur and a CEO and to do right? You're looking at a principal. For example, for example. Yeah, yeah, hold it, hold it. Why you're looking at, at a principal. Why you don't want to let them talk? You mad, you mad, you mad. Where'd you, get from? Where'd you start? Curbing the fear, right? No, wrong. Well, you're you looking, you're looking I got at a man. on you, doggy. Cameron, get, <laughs> I'm gonna get at you in a minute. You go ahead, you get at me. I'm gonna get at you in a minute. Wait, what? That's not activism. It, all right. Yeah. Okay. You're right. It's not really activism, but it feels like it because fuck Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. Fuck that dude for real. One rapper who sits squarely between rap, activism, and sometimes government is Killer Mike. He's a wonderful speaker with strong opinions, big ideas, and an even bigger platform. And to call him polarizing would be a severe understatement. A little while ago, he came under fire for doing an interview with NRA TV about black gun ownership and later went on to apologize for his remarks. How y'all doing out there? Um, I sat with a group called the National Rifle Association. I did an interview about black gun ownership um, in this era. That interview was used a week later by NRA TV to disparage a very noble campaign that I actually support. So I want to say first, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry that an interview I did about um, a minority, black people in this country, and gun rights, you was used as a weapon against you guys. That was unfair to you and it was wrong. And it disparaged some very noble work you're doing. He then went on to get a Netflix show called Trigger Warning. And he can probably explain it better than I can. So here's a clip of him on Joe Rogan's podcast discussing the show's premise. The best compliment I got on this press run has been like, how's it feel to have the most dangerous show on TV? And it's dangerous because it unites people. 
doesn't separate people. It gives you alternative answers than the ones you thought you had, and it forces you to think. It doesn't solve all the problems or wrap it up pretty at the end. It gives you some options to do and some shit to think about. And it's funny as fuck and subversive and dark, and I like it. It tackles the economy, gang culture, religion, education, and more. And if none of that ruffles your feathers, he's got a brand new show called Love and Respect, where he interviews politicians and other notable public figures. He recently sat down with Herschel Walker ahead of his run for the Georgia State Senate. And as you can imagine, this brought Mike into public scrutiny. Yeah, I'm not going to sit through a Herschel Walker interview to find a clip. Sorry, I got to draw the line somewhere. He was also not a fan of Obama, but believe it or not, several other rappers criticized Obama too, including M1 of Dead Press, Lupe Fiasco, and most notably, Kanye West. He's a jackass. To sum things up, rap is a powerful tool for spreading a message. And while we all have a voice, not many of us have the microphone. Black history is American history. The two are inseparable. And no matter what Ron DeSantis says, we, and by we I mean black people, deserve a stake in shaping a country and culture that we very much built. And look, in a lot of ways, community leadership has been replaced with entrepreneurship because people think you can buy your way out of oppression, but you just end up buying deeper into it. Financial activism, if that's even a thing, is just capitalism. I mean, is that a thing? It sounds weird. Like, did I just make that up? Look, I've got a lot of thoughts, some scattered, some focused, but much like Black History Month, this episode is way too short to touch on all the points I like to cover. So, Let's just get into the conversation with writer and curator Tim Hotep to see if he can help us make some sense of all of this. Yo, 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 Tim Hotep, what's good, man? What's positive, Don? I'm good, man. I'm glad to be speaking with you. Word, word. Well, let's get into it. So you've got a really heavy resume. What made you want to document hip-hop culture in the ways that you have? Um, It all starts with the lunch table and having conversations about hip-hop. It was a way for me to relate to like my fellow kids, the people in my community, my friends, and it's something I really stirred like these really deep feelings in me. You know, it's the musical component and then it's the lyrical component, right? Like hip-hop taught me a lot about life in general. It taught me about manhood. Um, it taught me about how people perceive the world around them and all that stuff. And so then I got to a point where I was like, all right, either I'm going to be a lawyer or I'm going to talk about this thing I love a lot. <laughs> and uh, I made the uh, the choice to go with the hip hop documentarian, storytelling, writing, journalism side of it. So here we are. Um, and I don't have the college debt of getting a law degree. <laughs> Listen, as an artist who has the college debt of a degree, you made the right choice. <laughs> Come on, Biden, man. I need this debt cancellation, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I want to talk to you about politics, conspiracies, and allyship as it relates to hip-hop and blackness. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But we're going to get through it because we got to solve the woes and the plight of the black community today. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Let me call my friend Rachel Dolja. <laughs> nah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, so, yo, we've seen a lot of rappers entering the world of politics these days. Some have even run for office. 
a lot have tried, a lot have failed, but a few have succeeded. Mm-hmm. The thing that we haven't seen, at least not to my knowledge, are politicians that try to become rappers. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's ever happened. You know what I'm saying? God forbid. God forbid for real. I mean, I, I think I've seen Hakeem Jeffries on the floor, like, quoting Biggie lyrics or some shit. But I've never seen, like, a politician go full on into rapping. So the question I want to ask you, mm-hmm. if Eric Adams signed to a record label, what label would it be? Any label throughout time. Like, what record label could you imagine Eric Adams being an artist on? Oh, Eric Adams is definitely trying to be on Bad Boy because he's the mixiest fucking mayor we've ever had. <laughs> There's pictures with him in French Montana, who's also a current yep, Bad Boy yep. artist or whatever. He wants to live that lifestyle. He wants to be in the club <laughs> schmoozing with Nas. Yeah. You know, like, like I could see him on Bad Boy. I could see him I, on Bad Boy. Definitely. I was going to say Dipset, but they probably wouldn't fuck with him on principle alone. You know what? You're right. Puff will probably give him a shot. He probably give him a shot. And Eric is also trying to meet chicks. That's, I think, a big part of his personality. <laughs> Yo, I literally never thought about him being single until right now. That's why he's staying at Green Juice. He's trying to preserve his youth, his virility, so he can meet some ladies. That's what it's about. Mayor Mixie out here with the Green Juice bottle <laughs> service. <laughs> uh, but uh, Eric Adams is also a former cop. Mm-hmm. And the hip-hop cops have been really hard on the drill scene in New York. They've been shutting down acts and rolling loud and, yep. like, you know, like holding them back from performing. It's, it's almost like they wish they could book the festival themselves. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yo, it's a mass arrest, right? No, no, no. Yeah, imagine, yeah. Them, imagine them booking a festival of all drill artists or whatever and just a fucking sweeping the whole thing and just arresting everybody. I could see them doing that. Yo, for real. <laughs> but so the hip hop cops have been around for a long time. Do you think that they've just gotten bolder? Or are mm-hmm. we as a society just more comfortable with air quote protection being provided by them? With the increase in the prominence and visibility of hip hop, I think that also makes hip hop artists more of a target. Like if I'm the police commissioner, I want to put numbers in the board. I want people to talk about me like I'm doing stuff and I want more money for what we're doing or whatever. I'm a target who's hyper visible. <laughs> right yep. and who people already think are crooks and et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh, yep. and i'm gonna keep on doing that so i think it's a confluence of artists being targeted and then artists not being cautious enough knowing what the circumstance is mm. all right yeah. so and continuing on with the theme of politicians moving over to rap let's play anr for a second okay so i'm not saying this person can't write their own bars or anything but who would you get to ghostwrite for AOC? <laughs> I mean, the acronym is already set. She's a cultural icon. We just need to put the voice to her. You know what I'm saying? Who got the pen that can do it? Cardi. <laughs> Yo. It's Cardi B. Yep. Yep. I feel like they're probably most aligned politically. Mm. I feel like they have uh, you know, a little bit of experience in common as, as Latina women. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I think AOC, what I will say I do admire about her is at least her brashness. And when I think about that, I think about Cardi. Yeah, and the other thing is that Cardi B is actually into politics. So I feel like she would give mm-hmm. such an authentic voice to that that persona or that character building for the AOC as a rapper brand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but as I was saying before, you know, rappers have been flirting with politics for a while now and, you know, succeed or not. Did you champion any of them? Were any of their platforms interesting to you? So in, in Newark, New Jersey, uh, Dupre Kelly, 
um, is now, I want to say, I forgot the official title. It's, it's city councilman, city councilman. Yeah. It's, it's do it all from, um, you know, uh, what's the correct name? Uh, Lords, Lords of the, of the underground. underground. Here come the Lords. Here come the Lords. <laughs> I'm pleased about that without being intimately knowledgeable about Newark's political scene. But like, I think in public office, you need actual representatives who represent the places that they come from, you know? Yeah. And I think he's one of those people from the actual soil, right? Yep. And I think he's the type of person who has the interests of those same people from the community in mind, right? So, like, I'm cool with that. Now, as far as, like, people who have failed spectacularly, and I'm glad about it, <laughs> you know Kanye. Yep, exactly. Yep. I mean, Kanye 2020 and 2024, <laughs> no, nigga, no. Have a seat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> word, word. So moving on, I want to talk about conspiracies for a little bit. Um, And one of the things I've always wondered is why the book Behold a Pale Horse had such a stranglehold on the hip hop community throughout the 90s. What what was that about? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a big question. I'll talk about first the origins of that book and how we got to the hip hop community. And the answer to that question is George Clinton. Oh, shit. What? Yeah, George Clinton was the guy reading that book in the mid-90s who performed with, uh, ran into, and was associated with folks like Busta Rhymes, right? Yep, he was, yeah. He gave that to Busta Rhymes, and that <laughs> kind of spawns Busta's whole, like, there's only five years left, 2002, yeah, yeah. Y2K, you know, paranoia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Busta Rhymes, in turn, is the person who gives this to the Goody Mob. Oh, shit. And this is where you get cell therapy, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> wow. And so, as is with a lot of conspiratorial thinking it's rooted in reality very often because the black experience in the united states is one of fugitivity where you like you were a fugitive your criminality is assumed you were constantly surveilled and the government doesn't act in your best interest like you can literally look at history books and be like hey what happened after reconstruction okay right you know what i'm saying like wait a second it took an amendment for us to fucking vote it took an amendment for us to have actual rights as people so like if you understand your social position as a black person is constantly marginalized, constantly, you know, antagonized, right? All of this conspiratorial shit makes mm, sense. Yep, totally. Now, William Cooper, who wrote the book. Uh-oh. <sighs> I, so I was going to ask if you knew anything about him. Like, I only know a little bit. So <laughs> I, I definitely am not a William Cooper expert. Um, from what I understand, he had worked in government in some capacities or whatever. Right, yeah. But he's also a crank. Right. And I think William Cooper, to me, is kind of the Alex Jones of his day. Bruh. Right. Yeah. So it's like, all right, Uh you tap into the distrust, the mistrust that people have for government. And then you build a career on that. And then you weave in certain themes that are going to appeal to people who just don't know better. Right. So like with Behold the Pale Horse, I think. The reason, again, that that became so popular in the hip hop community is because everybody understands that they're being targeted 
and it yeah. felt like almost like sacred knowledge, right? Like mm. this is stuff you're yeah. not supposed to know about things <laughs> and how they're going down, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then as time played out, as technology advances, ideas start to proliferate, they start to um, propagate. And then you go from there and everybody believes they're an expert and that we're going to have um, barcodes on our <laughs> wrists and shit like that. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yo, I'm not even going to hold you, man. Like, I still have my copy from college. I have it for purely sentimental value, but I have it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is where I was at at a time. Yeah. Exactly. For yeah. me personally, a lot of stuff that we've all been exposed to is, is in my wheelhouse, in my library as well. But I think what separates... Uh, some folks from others is that some people don't move beyond those things, mm, right? Yeah. Like the hip hop guy library, especially, is gonna have like Forty Eight Laws of Power. Yep, it's gonna have the Art of War. <laughs> yeah, right. It's gonna have uh, Behold the Pale Horse. It's gonna <laughs> yeah. have the autobiography of of Malcolm X, and it's like a spectrum of things, right? Yeah, but yeah. all these things are not the end all be all. They're a starting point. And at a certain point, you got to separate like what is valuable from what's refuse. And a lot of that mm. shit is refuse to keep it real. You know what <laughs> yeah. I'm saying? Like motherfuckers be like the trilateral commission and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, <laughs> oh, come on, dog. Like you should vote, nigga. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, totally. You should organize with your friends. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. But yo, like did Buster Rhymes ever like address that five years left thing or did he kind of just pretend like it never happened he tried to retrofit that shit <laughs> of course he did because <laughs> like it was really a countdown to y2k right yeah it was there's millennium anxiety right and that folded in with like conspiracy you know theories and shit like that if you look at all his album titles extinction level event when disaster strikes the big bang right <laughs> genesis <laughs> it's supposed to be leading up to this this like cataclysm that kind of never really happened in that way but I heard a recent interview of him on like maybe it was Drink Champs or some shit. And he kind of like low key gave himself credit for like predicting 9 11. I was like, come on, bro. <laughs> yo, <laughs> yo, can you imagine being a, a, a hip hop fan that was only given Busta Rhymes albums pre Y2K? You would be terrified. <laughs> like, oh shit, we're gonna die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, but you had some great knocks and Dilla beats on there too. So it's like, all right, we yeah. jamming. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, at least the soundtrack to Global Destruction is fire you know what I mean <laughs> there's only five years left <laughs> remember that nigga or you remember that there's only five years left so what are some of your favorite old school hip hop conspiracies like early internet type shit you know what I'm saying I mean going back like I just think about like the early days of YouTube and going down the rabbit hole of watching people claim that Jay-Z was in the Illuminati and that he was <laughs> unconsciously signaling the Illuminati. He Yo, and Beyonce, the, yes, the, the, the diamond sign, the, the like sign. the rock sign is really like the all-seeing eye in the yeah, pyramid. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're trying to tell us, you know what I'm saying? Yo, have you ever seen like the video where they're breaking it down, drawing lines and all that's that shit? That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, man, that's up there. Yo, one of my personal favorites, though, is uh, the KKK owning troop. <laughs> uh, so, nah, so I don't know. So that's not really a hip hop thing, but this is like more of like a hood thing. There was uh, a rumor that Snapple was owned by the KKK. Mm, yep, I heard that one too. Yep. There's a circular K or there was a circular K on Snapple bottles to denote that it was kosher and the original glass Snapple, like, like the tea bottles 
had images of the Boston Tea Party, and people yeah. were like, "Nah, that's slave ships, yo." <laughs> so, like, that was a funny one from back that's, in the day. Wow, that that Snapple is, is owned by the KKK. The other hood one out I thought was funny was like um, the government or some nefarious uh, entity flooded the the hood with like blue raspberry blow pops. Yeah, I don't remember this at all. That were carcinogenic. I don't know. So, and if oh you're... shit! Wait, wait. I did hear about <laughs> carcinogens in the blue dot. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> it was <laughs> so. Wait, blue raspberry blow pops were conspiracies. Yo, bro. So like. Blue raspberry <laughs> blow pops were a sensation in the hood. Now I'm speaking for myself Yo, as a person because them shits are fucking delicious, man. They're great. Uh, but, but but people, they were like when they first dropped, they were the shit. They were like you could get in the fights. I remember going into um corner stores and they would price gouge on them. So like a regular blow pop is like ten. Those shits is a quarter because they knew the demand was so high for them, right? <laughs> yeah. Um and. As with everything that is kind of a fad of consumption in our community, people are like, hmm, what's up with that? <laughs> Good old black skepticism. Can't even trust the candy. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you never <laughs> heard about what was this drink? Um, it was a cheap soda. It was a soda that was fifty cents when other sodas were maybe a dollar seventy-five oh, cents. I, I know what you're talking about. I just can't remember the name. But they called them sperm busters because the conspiracy was that they made uh black men impotent. And and when I'm not impotent in terms of erectile dysfunction, but like literally you weren't able to reproduce like it was a, a tool of population control. So like these are some hood conspiracies that I'm familiar with. <laughs> yeah, beef is cheaper, but it's part with red dye between two pieces of bread. So moving from then until now, because in 2023, we're famously living in a post-racial America. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm so glad we got over race, you man. Know? It's so cool. And we're just... Everyone's just people and happy. We're just chilling, man. Right, like, who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Obama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though it's post-racial and all that, you know what I'm saying? This systemic racism thing, it's, it's still at an all-time high. You know? So... We need our allies more than ever right now. And mm. the burning question that I have is, are there any pro-black white rappers out there? I think if you are a white rapper and you're not pro-black, you should get the fuck out. Mm. Period. Damn, I wish I had an air horn. I think wading into hip hop as a culture that is deeply rooted in the black experience or whatever, I think you have to have some level of solidarity or allyship with black people to exist in it. Right. Yeah. There are definitely like all right rappers, yep. right? Like, you know, rap is, is something that anybody can do. <laughs> Unfortunately, but they are just that they're like on the fringe. They're not to be accepted. But I think as a white rapper, you have to have some humility, you know, like Eminem even, and I'll, I'll bring him up, like go listen to white America. Right. Like this is a person who is acknowledging his privileges, his injustice and is keenly aware of the role that race plays in America and specifically in his own success. And I think that's really important. So I think to go reiterate my earlier statement, I really feel like 
you know, if you're not a rapper who's pro-black, get the fuck out. If you're not about the solidarity with, with black people, and if you're not about affirming the humanity of black people, right, then you don't mm. need to be here. Word, it's man. not for you. So, like, a question in a similar vein is, do you think that there's a need for the the public enemy archetype? You know what I'm saying? Like, a, a group or an act that has a similar message or aesthetic or just style in general. Yo, man, hip-hop is always going to be reflective of the time, so there's never going to be an archetype of an artist from past era who will be relevant in the same way for a new era. The gift of hip hop artists is that they're master communicators, right? So like what they're going to do is look at the circumstances and the inputs around them. And then they're going to output what they think is the most effective way of communicating these ideas to people. And, you know, bomb squad production, Chuck D's booming voice and, uh, Flavor Flav as the court jester foil to all that, whatever, may not be a recipe we re- we need right now. But yeah, yeah, our circumstances as Black people in America and globally um, are still as dire as almost they've ever been, right? And thus, you're going to get people who pepper their music and their art and their expression with affirmations of Blackness, mm, mm. with calls to arms. Yep. Um, to all that stuff. And I think there's a there's a, a good crop of MCs already doing that right now. So I say all I have to say, there's never going to be a public enemy ever again, but as long as there's a necessity for artists to be pro-Black and vocal about it, there's always going to be that strain in hip-hop. Okay, so there's no need for the public enemy archetype today in 2023. Um, do you think that there's a Dr. Umar of rap? Like, do we need one oh. of those archetypes? I bet you he's, he's probably rapped before, bro. Dr. Umar absolutely has rapped before. There's a demo somewhere, bro. He's probably got GarageBand open right now. <laughs> Honestly, I would I would probably want to more see his, his like, crank that video. Because I feel like Dr. Umar probably has, like, a crank that video from the Soldier Boy era somewhere. And that's what I'd be more inclined to see as, as opposed to, like, any rap from him. You know what I'm saying? Baggy jean shorts, a tall T, like, you! <laughs> oh, man. Yo, Tim, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me, man. It's been a pleasure, G. Most definitely. Thank you for having me, Um, and I appreciate the conversation, bro. We gonna be all right. The Almanac of Rap is written and produced by me, Don Will. I also did the theme music. But there's some additional music in each episode by Von P. The show is executive produced by Syeda Blunt and Aisha Palmer, with mix engineering and sound design by Dana Watts. The show's artwork was done by Alan Cole. And I'd also like to give a big shout out to the whole team over at Sonos Radio for their support. Head over to Mixcloud.com Sonos to hear all the archive shows and be sure to check out the Sonos Radio IG account for other Sonos programming and the Almanac of Raps IG as well. Once again, special thanks to our guest, Tim Hotep. You can hear his show Subject to Change on NTS Radio or check his Rap Caveat playlist on all streaming services. Once again, that's rap with a W, not with a R. And before we get out of here, remember that guy rapping on the Ben Carson campaign ad? Aspiring mogul? Here's a little taste of his music. Black conservative Christian rapper, yeah, you know you like it. All my black Republicans are... I'm sorry, my bad. I, I can't play this. Please forgive me. And please come back. I hope to see you next time on the Almanac of Rap. Don't don't ever play no shit like that again. I said I was sorry. My bad.